All right, everybody, here we are. Uh, winds of winter. Hopefully, I remember to look up a hazy shade of winter now that I think about it. Uh, uh, probably, I probably, I don't know if I'll remember that, but it's time to talk about it. I mean, I think this will probably, will I have a second uh, Game of Thrones discussion next week? Because, uh, I mean, this, the especially the first, what, 20, 25 minutes of this episode was a masterpiece. And I don't think I'm indulging in whatever that vocabulary word is uh, that I can't remember saying that. What is the word? But, but it, it, I really think this was a masterpiece, a combination of, uh, and I was I was unspilt or spoilt, so I was lucky. And so if you're listening to this, you know, you, you know there's no way you could avoid being spoiled, uh, and that from attempts, you know, because it, it's, it's, sometimes it's good being naive and dense. Because I remember I said to my brother, I said, hey, when, uh, was it two episodes ago when, uh, was that Cersei and what's that guy's name? I don't, I don't have it in front of me. So this is how my brain works. The uh, mad scientist, I said, she said, so did you look into that thing or something? He said, I did, my grace. And she said, is it true? He said, oh, much more or something. I, I told my brother, who's the king of spoilers, I said, so Gendry, is that Gendry? And my brother just laughed and looked at me like, you poor, you poor boy. And he said, absolutely not. And then he, and then, and he, he was going to tell me. I said, don't tell me. And now I'm so glad. And I did not see this coming. And so the, the tension and the music and the, uh, just the way it was shot, I mean, it's a masterpiece, uh, I mean, no, I mean, say, Scooch, you're, you're a fanboy. Uh, sorry about that. I interrupted there, so I'm going to interrupt my thoughts. But just great, great, uh, wonderful. So right now we're on the previews here. I'm, I'm playing it on my little iPhone 4S. My, my, the phone doesn't like when I call it this, but I call it my 4S y poo. Yeah, see, the phone, and it says, well, just my battery could run out at any moment. And I said, okay, my little iPhone SE poo, 4 SE poo. Yeah, Okay, so it's running through. So we're going to get to the beginning because it just starts out with the bell tolling, uh, the sept bells ringing, Cersei's staring. She's in black. Uh, she's dressing. Tommen's dressing and staring. Marjorie's getting her hair done. The bells are ringing. I wrote how many bells. I did not, I did not answer that question, though. Sparrow's getting dressed. The high sparrow, he just he just, he just popped his head in and corrected me. And then we have Tommen putting on his necklace with a, like a very kingly necklace. Then we have Marjorie getting her hair done. Then we have the crown placed on Tommen's head. He looks off. I put two question mark because uh, he was looking kind of through... Uh, the screen, because his room kind of has a screen separating it, a wooden screen. And I said, D- is he looking to a mirror? Is he looking to his mom's room? Holy mackerel. Then I have something that's written. It, it does not, honestly, it, it does not look like it was in English either. Holy cow. Sometimes, like, it looks like P-I-D-N-O, upside down triangle. What does that say? I mean, honestly, I don't think I have the slightest idea. I mean, it looks like Pidnov, if the triangle upside down. Oh, now I'm looking at Cersei over her shoulder. She's looking out at the sept. 
Now we have a profile shot of her. I could just do this for the episode. There's Tom and getting his stuff done, but then I wouldn't have all this. Uh, uh, the build is just so good. The sept is filling. I've been doing too many F-bombs, people say. It is so effing good, though, the build. Then we have Laura shivering. And then we have Sparrow and the Septons. That's a good band name. I forgot. That was another thing I wanted to research. I wish I had a pen in here. I wish I knew what the Pidnovs stand for. Okay, uh, Sparrows and the Septons, that's a good band name. I said that right. Septons take their position. Mar- Marjorie looks back. Then we have Tommen sitting and staring. The uh, TV's catching up with me, or the what do they call it now? Streaming on my phone. Uh, we have Cersei putting silver across, like this silver, I don't know what it's called, like a cross. What's a cod piece? I don't know what a cod piece is. I should Google that. I don't think it was a cod piece because I, oh, I think that's for like, never mind. I do just erase everything. I just figured out what it was, I think. Sorry, I was not trying to make a joke. Uh, but she has some sort of silver thing going across her chest, like a necklace, but also like military. Uh, but it, it, across her chest. And then Tommen won't move. He's sitting there. And then we have a close-up of Cersei. Then we see the maester getting ready. He puts on his chains. He's rude to his date, uh, which is, you know, there's Tommen sitting, staring. Your grace, he's, somebody says, hey, the trial's getting going. He just doesn't say anything. Uh, then the grand maester, oh, then uh, the maester breathes in the mirror, I guess, before he gets ready to go. Notice how little dialogue there is. There's very little dialogue. Oh, Cersei puts on a ring here. Maester looks at his speech. I forget that. Uh, what does that say? Maester, oh, child goes. Maester, he mis- maesters to the whisper, whispers to the maester. Can't read my writing. It looks like PM Airds. P-I-A-M-E-R-D-S. PM Airds. Question mark. Uh, no doubt about the question mark. I don't know. Something words? I don't know. Whispers, PM words, PM words. And then Loris rolls in. Mace and Marjorie are very sad to see Loris, how, uh, what rough shape he's in. He's cowering. It's time for his trial. And Loris just lays it all out for the sparrow. He's perfectly honest. He listened to his sister's advice, I guess. Uh, the only thing, like, at some point the crowd ooze when, you know, Laura starts, like, saying, hey, this is what I, this is my life, you know, whatever, you're going to judge me. And the crowd ooze, and the sparrow's like, he doesn't like that. He gives the crowd a little bit of a look. And he's like, Laura, you ready to, you know, subserviate? And Laura kneels, dedicate, you're going to dedicate your life, uh, because uh, he's like, who do you want to deal with, the warrior or the mother? And they say, well, Scoots doesn't, he's abandoned both those when he prays. He doesn't pray. Yeah, to be honest, I don't like, you know, those are two. Why do those guys get all the, why Why does the Lord have to choose between one of those? What about the crone or the smith? How come Loris has got to choose between the warrior and the mother? Those guys get too much respect. Uh, I could tell you it's uh, karma might be coming in the next uh, 22 minutes. I'll tell you that. Uh, 
warrior and mother. Don't worry, you can't blaspheme gods that don't exist. But probably, I mean, maybe my good, maybe my luck is, uh, but you know, they say, geez, if you're gonna bow down to the mother, you gotta lose the Tyrell name. And Loris is like, I realize that. And they say, you're gonna dedicate your life. Let's see. Doesn't like the wing. You're gonna dedicate your life. Loris is pretty sad. It was really sad. And it was like, uh, I mean, this question will never be answered, but again, it was a question I was asking this whole season about Marjorie, which will go unanswered. Is like, uh, how much was Loris acting? I mean, how much was he, his will uh, taken away from, you know, broken? Uh, Mace doesn't like it because they say, hey, we're going to put this tattoo on Loris. He say he doesn't know that. And this whole time, this music is playing. This whole time, this music's playing, this piano music. And then we go back, and Cersei's still dressing, so it calls back to the beginning music, this just haunting piano. And I looked up the name of the song, and now I forgot it. It's Seven Seps or something. Sorrow with the Seven Seps. Uh, Agatha Christie, Sorrow with the Seven Seps. Cersei did it. Uh, <laughs> okay, then we have Tom and Reddy. He's late for the trial. Then we have Marjorie and the Sparrow, because uh, she she's like uh, she's like I thought she goes. What are you doing? Give my brother a tattoo. Uh, you gave me your word. He goes. Oh, I've kept my word. He goes. Once the Queen Mother's trials concluded, your brother can leave. And uh, Marjorie's like, well, where is she? Where's the Queen Mother? And uh, said, well, I guess she doesn't want to come to trial. We'll just. Uh, then he says, uh, Lancel, go get the Queen Mother. And Lancel says, get the others. Uh, so Lancel heads out to the Red Keep. Uh, show her the way. Go to get the Queen Mother. Show her the way. At some point, uh, did I miss writing this down? I think Tommen's ready. Oh, I didn't write it down. Tommen's ready to go before that scene. And he says, I'm late for my trial. And then Sir Gregor's there. He's like, no, you're staying here. And Tommen goes, excuse me. And then uh, Sir Gregor says, you know what, no move. And Tommen gets a serious look on his face. And then we have Cersei dressing. Then we have the scene with Lancel, and Marjorie and a sparrow, then Lancel. So Lancel sees a little bird out on the street uh, when he leaves the sept. He says, go get the others to the other uh, faith militant. And we have the maester follows the little bird into the uh, mad scientist laboratory of Clyburn. Lancel goes into like the catacombs and the piano gets more and more tense. And we see Clyburn's like kicking it all sly. He's like, hey, what's up, maester? And uh, Maester says, I thought it was Maester, not Maester, Meister, Maester. Scooter gets those mixed up. And Clyburn says, sometimes he even forgets my name. And he goes, I thought the king was, where's the king at? And Clyburn says, elsewhere, I'm afraid. And the Grand Maester says, I got busy stuff to do. Uh, you know, I'm an important guy, and Clyburn says, it's all chill to me, man. I got no ill will for you. But but anyway, you know, you're not maester anymore. 
He goes, sometimes we got to usher, to usher in the new, we got to get rid of the old, you know. And Picel says, oh boy. And then Picel's like, I'm out. And then this, it, it, elsewhere, I'm afraid, I think that's when the, the there's this vocal starts in with the music, uh, choral, choral or whatever you call that. At first, just one voice. Uh, then we says old string, you know, old put to rest. Then the strings and more vocals uh, pipe in. Uh, then Lancer, Lancel finally starts to really, the story starts to unravel or unfold because Lancel finds all these casks in the catacombs and they got green glowing stuff. And then you most, if you've been listening to Spycast, you know how I feel about organ music. I feel orgasmic about, I'm orgasmic for organ music in, especially in a tension building situation. Auto, auto, orga, yeah, I go, uh, I use, I practice auto orgasm, orga, orga, organ, auto organ. <laughs> I didn't even think of the dual meaning of organ there. Auto organism or, or something. Uh, but, uh, the music plays, uh, then we go to the sept, uh, piano only. And then Marjorie, the plan, you know, Marjorie's so intelligent. The plan hits her. You know, she has the ability to think like Cersei. She knew something was up. It all comes together for her. Uh, we see it on the face. Then Lancel sees the green. First, he just sees the casks. Then we see Cersei looking out at the sept, and she's smiling. There's a bird flying over the sept. And then Marjorie tells the sparrow, she's like, yo, uh, we got a problem here. And the strings come in. And she goes, like, uh, the sparrow's like, you know, no, don't worry. He goes, uh, we'll try her even if she's not here. She can't escape the justice of the gods. And Marjorie's like, she's not worried about the justice of the gods. She understands the consequences of her absence. So she says, Cersei understands the consequences of her absence and is absent anyway which means she does not intend to suffer those consequences. We got to get out of here now. And then, uh, and then Marjorie and Loris, they try to make a break for it. Uh, this is intertwined like Lancel's crawling. So Lancel sees, he's, he's crawling towards the green stuff. He sees these three candles in the distance. And so he's slowly crawling down there, and uh, let's see. So we have Cersei. She sees. She sees. She's looking at the sept. She's smiling. The birds over the sept. Uh, I'm sorry. I got the the record. If anybody, it's a little behind the scenes. The recorder, the recorder just kind of botched there. So I'm trying to re reestablish my space. Uh, um, but so they crawl, uh, so Lancel crawls, trying to re, re, reestablish my focus. He's crawling towards these three candles all the way down this hall. We're seeing the green stuff. We're slowly figuring it out. Marjorie tries to get Loris and then Sir Kevin and Mace, uh, to exit. Uh, Loris or, uh, Lancel's getting closer and we see that the candles are in the wildfire and then we kind of figure it out. Uh, then the sparrow figures it out. 
Uh, but like the, everyone's, there's such a crowd and the face militants of Marjorie and Kevin and, uh, Sir Kevin and Loris can't get out. And you just see the Sparrow's, uh, face as he, he figures it out. And there's just a nice moment. I'm watching it right now. And then Lancel gets close. So like Lancel almost gets there in time. Marjorie, like everybody just kind of goes limp, uh, because they're like, oh, you blew it, Sparrow. Cersei won. She really got us. And then the, the Sept goes bye-bye. Uh, and the bell is rung at the Sept for the last time outside of the bell tower. And then Cersei's all, like, the end of Fight Club. She's all chilling there, just like uh, Tyler Durden. Uh, she, she's a lo- like, j- exactly like the end of that movie, kind of. She's got her wine. I don't know what that says. Essay, I think it's, a, uh, like, uh, but she's just chilling and, uh, drinking a wine. I'm watching it now, watching it. She's kind of get this, uh, victorious, you know, kind of, uh, very pleased look on her face. She's, uh, sipping her wine, savoring it. Looking down the profile, and she steps away with a smile. And then we have this moment, which is our Tom in total shock. And we see Sir Gregor in the background. He rolls out of Tommen's room, total shock on Tommen's face. And Cersei meets with her old Septa friend. And Cersei's honest with her. This was actually really important. Because uh, first Cersei's like talking to this, shaming the Septa for making Cersei atone. And she's like, you wanted me to atone because it felt good for you. And Cersei says, I understand I do things because they feel good. I drink because it feels good. You know, I took overpowered my first husband because it felt good. I was done with him. I sleep with my brother because that feels good. I lie about uh, sleeping with my brother because it feels good to uh, uh, keep our son uh, safe from hateful hypocrites. Oh, boy. And she goes, I took out your sparrow and all the little sparrows, all the septons, all the septas, all the soldiers, because that felt good. It felt good to imagine their shock. And then she says, no thought has ever given me greater joy. Even confessing feels good under the right circumstances. And then she says, you're quiet. I want you to meet my buddy Gregor. He's quiet, too. Uh, then we see Tom, and his face is quivering. And he, he's uh, looking out. Uh, he's looking out, and he's with his servant who says, you know, I'm very sorry. Your grace, and then the servant leaves. And this is just a—I mean, this is a, a tough scene, but very well done. Because uh, Tommen, like to continue, I don't—I don't know. Uh, but he removes his crown. Uh, but he removes his crown, and then he walks off stage or walks off the camera, and he was kind of hunched as he walked off. I think to the left of the camera. But then he walks back on the camera, confident and calm. Uh, and he, he says, I'm leaving, he says, I'm leaving Westeros forever. 
and then we uh, change positions. We're at uh, we're in the twins at the uh, house of Walder at a party, and Walder Frey's uh, seals the Lannister. He says, well, "You know what the Walder the Frey's and Lannisters love to say? Uh, Frey and the Lannister always uh, pay their debts and send their regards." And then on the second rewatch, I got a question for everybody. Like, uh, what do these looks mean from Arya? I could not figure that out. Uh, Like, the different looks she keeps giving Jamie. And I don't read anything before I record the episode, so I don't know what other people are saying about those looks. Okay, the Tom and Scenes playing again. It's like a close-up profile of his face. Uh, then uh, back of him with his, uh, like, uh, and you can see the sept in the foreground. His shoulders are hunched, like I said. A uh, door opens and closes. As uh, you can see, his hands are folded. He takes off, very deliberately takes off his crown. Holds it for a minute. Hunched over, walks off of a camera with his crown. Gone for a few, four or five beats here. Six beats, seven beats. You can see the sept in the uh, right through his window. Wow, about ten beats at least. And then he walks on very comfortable. And now we're at the now we're at the Frey's house. And so it's a uh, second. Wow, oh, second watch. What our eyes looks mean. Then we have Jamie and Bron chilling. Then we have Jamie and Walder, uh, which is, uh, you know, Walder's like totally bragging. He really wants to impress Jamie or whatever. You know, he goes, I don't want to give my family a bad name. You know, I got Edmure, you know, locked up. He goes, we really took out that legendary warrior with a blackfish. And then Jamie, Jamie's a little passive. He goes, oh, have you you've been in a lot of battles, Lord Frey? And he goes, yeah, I'm an old man. And Jamie goes, I mean, back in your day. And you know, King, one of the kings of dissonance, this Walder Frey, goes, oh, uh, the purpose of fighting is to defeat your enemies, isn't it? I defeated mine. He goes, I took uh, Riverrun from uh, House Tully. It was theirs for a thousand years. Now it's mine. He goes, that's victory. And Jamie says, oh, yeah, you're a great conqueror. And Frey says, you know, I don't, I know you're making fun of me. Everybody makes fun of me. They say, I, you know, even that podcast guy says I smell like sauerkraut. And he goes, where did that get you? He goes, and as a matter of fact, Jamie, you're not exactly the best general from what I hear. He goes, here we are, and then he kind of does the one where he's like, we're kind of like each other. He says, here we are, two kingslayers. He goes, we know what it's like to have people kiss our butts and then make fun of us behind our backs. We don't mind, do we? He goes, fear is a marvelous thing, and I think that's a little too close to him for Jamie, a little too much truth. So Jamie says, uh, actually, they fear the Lannisters, not you. Yeah, let's see, Walder's just showing Jamie a mirror, fears a marvelous thing. And he says, you know, we really don't need the phrase, because you guys, he goes, I don't know if you're doing any good. 
Then we have Clyburn and Circe talking about Tom and, and you know, Circe's kind of pretty cold now. Then we have uh, Sam and Gilly on a wagon. And then, oh boy, we, we see this giant lighthouse. Uh, another wonderful surprise. Wonder of the world again, getting to visit a wonder of the world. Uh, like the Titan of Bravos and now this giant lighthouse of, uh, I don't know, is it Old Town? And there's lots of birds around the lighthouse. Uh, and then I think we see the Citadel. And then we have this little uh, comedy act, Paging Terry Gilliam. Paging Terry Gilliam. It's at uh, 3250, if you want to see it. It's really funny, really well done. There's an Astrolab model. And this guy just gives gives Sam a really uh, hard time. Really, it's just, you got to watch it. I really can't even describe it. Uh, except for the fact that uh, Sam says... Uh, well, yeah, I'm here, you know, John Snow's in charge. And now the guy goes, we don't have any of that info. And he goes, this is irregular. And Sam goes, well, yeah, I suppose that uh, life is irregular. And he goes, oh, geez, we're going to have to, the boss is going to have to check in with you about this. He goes, why don't you check out the library? And he goes, let's go. But then he goes, no women and children. So Gilly and uh, Sam Jr. got to stay. And Sam just did. He says, sorry, it's a library, babe. I got to check this out. Um, and then he had this awkward double smile. I think that's what I wrote. Oh, that was after Life is Irregular. Awkward double smile. And Sam ditches Gilly for the library. There's a lot of books on chains. Grant Organic, what does that mean? A gi- oh, Giant Orgasmic Library. Sam, it's this huge, wicked cool library. Uh, actually, wicked cool doesn't even begin to describe it. It's like uh, the greatest library. It's unbelievable. Uh, so Sam, yeah, has this orgasmic look, which is understandable. Then we see a white raven at Winterfell. And you can tell John's nervous because he's petting the chairs, empty chairs. He's petting them or patting the chairs out of nervousness. And he's talking to the red woman. He goes, yeah, during the feast, our family would sit here, but I would have to sit out in the crowd. She goes, could have been worse, John Snow. You had a family and feasts. He goes, yeah, I was luckier than most. Uh, And then the onion night rolls in. And he taught, and this is 3701 if anybody wants to watch. He tosses a horse to the red woman. And John says, What's that? He goes, Tell him, tell him who it belonged to. And she goes, Princess Shireen. And he goes, Yeah, tell him what happened to her. And the uh, red woman tries to deflect it. She's like, This was the only way to do it. And he goes, Oh, no, no. And she goes, I only do what my Lord commands. And he goes, if you do that kind of stuff, your Lord is evil. This is just such a spectacular. I mean, I'm a huge Onion Knife fan, so. And she goes, it led us to, Jen, you know, we're here because of it. And he goes, she was good and she was kind. And she goes, well, I'm not the only one. Her father, you know, she says, her father and her mother. I thought he said I loved her. I think he said I loved her like my own. 
And she, he, then on your nights, like, you know, you told everyone Stannis was the one and you had them all fooled and you lied. And then this is just an extra layer. She goes, I didn't lie. I was wrong. And he goes, ah, you were wrong. And then he goes, this lady's got to stand trial, Jon Snow. Uh, she admits to it. And Jon Snow says, do you have anything to say for yourself? And, uh, there's like a, some good uh, close-ups. There's Jon Snow shocked close-up. There's a close-up of her hands on the stag. And then Jon Snow says, "You got anything to say for yourself?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I got powers you could use." And Jon Snow says, "Ride south today, you know, otherwise we're gonna have to try you." And then the red woman, she looks very sad and shocked at the turn of events. Uh, and then the onion knight kind of blocks her when she's leaving. He warns her, you know, you know, don't ever come back. Uh, and then we have John on the ramparts in the snow. He's watching her horse go off the red woman. Uh, Sansa comes and stands not right at his side, like one rampart over. And there's lovely drifting snow. Uh, something, her head, what does that say? Oh, at the end he kisses her head. But they talk about, you know, uh, forming an alliance between the two of them and who should be in charge, Sansa or John. Will people accept John as a leader? Will they accept Sansa as a leader? And there's a, it's tough either way. And, you know, Sansa's like, well, sorry I didn't let you know about the Boltons and Baelish. He goes, you trust Baelish? She's like, oh, no, hell no. She goes, you see how sly he is? Uh, and so they say, Jesus, we got to trust each other. And then she says, they say, okay. And she says, John, a raven came from a citadel, a white raven. Winter is here. And then they kind of crack up. Uh, I just like it. John it, it like kind of stops him. Uh, and John looks up when he laughs and then uh, Sansa has this beautiful smile profile and she's in profile beautiful smile and he says well father promised that didn't he uh, then we're in Dorne Lady Olana's there Elia Sand and her daughters Olana's rude to the daughters which I didn't really I don't know I didn't really like uh uh, but she's mad. She says, let the grown women speak. She says, the Lannisters have declared war on House Tyrell and on Dorne. And they say, well, Jesus, uh, Elias Sand says, well, we should be allies. And uh, Oleana says, uh, well, Cersei stole the future from me. She took out my son, my grandson, my granddaughter. I'm not after survival. And Elias Sand says, you're right, uh, it's not a survival I offer, it's your heart's desire. And she rings this little bell, so dramatic, uh, and Varys rolls out. What does this say? Vergic. Oh, vengeance. Because uh, as he rolls out, she says, Oleana says, what's her, my heart's desire? They say vengeance, justice. Uh, then we see uh, Khaleesi. She's dumping Dar Dario Naharis. 
Yeah, which is interesting. Like he's super confident and in his love for her and his, you know, Noah Wiley esque good looks. I don't know if there's been a paternity test. Is Noah Wiley old enough to be this guy's father? Uh, but she, she, she kind of just, just says, she say, I got to do, you got to stay here. Our relationship's toast. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm the best, you know, he goes, I'm the best, you know, at everything. And she's, she's, she's like, well, you know, I got other ambitions other than, you know, having you as a lover. And he goes, this always, you know, he goes, this always works, uh, and she goes, you realize this is still a way of patriarchy, even though you had and, and he says, oh, come on. And she says, you know, I, no, I'm the Khaleesi, so, so it's known. It is known. Uh, she goes, you'll stay here. You'll supervise stuff. I'm out. And he goes, well, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to follow up uh, the Khaleesi? And she goes, you'll figure it out. And she goes, I'll leave your orders for Dragon's Bay. Or the Bay of Dragons. And he goes, well, I'm sure you're going to get your throne. I hope it brings you happiness. I pity the lords of Westeros. They have no idea what's coming for them. And she says, farewell, Dario Nahar. So she says it is a correct pronunciation. I don't, but I'm not sure what the correct one is. Uh, and then we see Tyrion is drinking some wine alone. Uh, and thinking, and then the, he's in that big uh, like uh, audience room or whatever, and Khaleesi starts coming down the stairs very slowly, very deliberately. And he says, "How did she? How did he take it?" And she goes, "No tears." And she, he's like, "I'm sure it was hard." You know, he turned away a man who truly loves you because he would have been a liability in the Seven Kingdoms. He goes, "That's good sac- self-sacrifice for a ruler." If it's any consolation, she goes, nope, not, not a bit. And then she like, sit, she descends slowly and she sits down next to him. And he goes, yeah, I'm not very good at consolation. And then he goes, well, how, what do you think about it? The fact that this is all happening now, you have your armies, your ships, your dragons, everything you've wanted since you were old enough to want anything. It's yours for the taking. And we didn't really get a lot of uh, Dinklage this situ- situ- uh, season, but this scene may- makes-, makes up for it, just the nuance of his acting, uh, along with a couple of the other scenes. So he says, are you afraid? And then she doesn't say anything. She just barely makes a motion. This is at 49-something. I can't read my writing. 49 minutes about. She does a slight nod. He goes, Good. You're in the great game now, and the great game's terrifying. Only dudes like your father aren't afraid, and that's because they're madmen. And she goes, did you want to know what frightens me? I said to farewell to a man who loves me, a man I thought I cared for and I felt nothing, just impatient to get on with it. And Tyrion says, you, he was the first to love you, won't be the last. It wasn't the first, won't be the last. And it just is an insert here. Please don't let that little kid in the veil and Khaleesi get married. Uh, only request I would have of the creators of the show. Whatever that Lord of the Veil's name is, Robin Aaron, that's his name. I can't believe I remembered that. That probably dooms it. That I don't think he has enough holdings to get married to her, but... 
please don't do that. And then I, oh, we'll get to that guy, the stupid Vale guy. A low, I think I don't think I'm a big fan of the Vale. Except it seems like a cool spot to check out. But I would be out that moon door faster than you could say Vale. Vicky Vale, you know, if you wanted. That's probably what it got me. Oh, it's Vicky Vale in. And Robin Aaron would say, show him the moon door. And I'd say, Vicky Vale. And they'd say, nobody, nobody gets that. No, no, okay. And then the Khaleesi, he says, first love you. Wasn't the first, won't be the last. She says, well, you've completely failed to console me. And then he sees, whew, this is good at good acting. He goes, for what it's worth, I've been a cynic for my whole life. And everyone's wanting me to believe in family, God's king, myself. And he goes, I've seen where belief gets people. So I said, no thank you to belief. And yet here I am. And he says, I believe in you. And he says, it's embarrassing, really. I'd swear you my sword, but I don't actually own a sword. And then Khaleesi says, what's your counsel I need? He goes, it's yours now and always. And she says, good. And she gives him the pin for the hand of the king. She goes, I had this maid. Not sure if it's right. She goes, Tyrion Lannister, I name you Hand of the Queen. And you just got to watch this scene to see the two of, the, the two of them. Uh, and the look, look on Dinklage's face. Holy cow, a million dollars. And then we have the Fred, Walter Frey at dinner. He's alone. He's got this giant meat pie. He's like, where's Black Walter? And I think the other kid's name is Loafer. I'm not kidding. I'm pretty sure. Where's Black Walter and Loafer? said, only a Frey would name their kids that. And this Arya, she's like, yo, Walter, uh, say goodbye. You're out. And as she's, she's, she tells him, you know, take, take a big sleep. She has this ecstatic look on her face, uh, like ecstasy at some level. And I said, Mario, no. Uh, then we have Sansa. She's in the uh, God's Wood. can't believe I remembered that. It's a God tree, Barky. And she's chilling there, and then Baelish rolls up on her. He goes, oh, sorry, are you praying? She goes, no, I'm done with that. Came here every day when I was a girl, prayed to someone, be somewhere else. She goes, back then I always thought about what I wanted, not what I had. And she goes, I, you know, wasn't, he goes, well, you're only a child. And she goes, what do you want? And he says, hey, and this is another very well done scene. Because I thought you knew what I wanted. And Sansa says, I was wrong. And he goes, uh, no, you weren't. He goes, every time, this is really good, but somebody was texting me this. He goes, every time I was faced with a decision, I close my eyes and see the same picture. Whenever I consider an action, I will ask myself, uh, I ask myself, will this action help to make this picture a reality? pull it out of my mind and into the world? And I only act if the answer is yes. A picture of me on the Iron Throne and you by my side. And then he goes in for the kiss, and, and deservedly in Baelish's case, but he said, oh boy, if, uh, Sansa says, uh, hell no, you're not kissing me. 
And she walks up. She goes, that sounds like a pretty picture. And she has her back to him as he says, uh, you know, the battle, this news is going to spread around pretty fast about this battle. And he goes, I declared for House Stark. Uh, and she goes, well, you declared for other houses, Lord Baelish. Never stopped you from serving yourself. He says, the past is gone for good. You can sit here mourning its departure. Or you can prepare for the future. And you, my dear, the future of House Stark until you become House Baelish. Who should the North rally behind? The true-born daughter of Ned and Caitlin Stark from Winterfell? Or, you know, Jon Snow? And let's see what else. Sansa was close to the camera with her back to him. You, my love, I like that. Uh, and then uh, Baelish uh, turns back. I don't know what that means because I'm not watching at this second. Oh, and then, and then we see uh, we see Baelish turns back, and then we see the back of a head and his snowy pine trees. And at first I said, is that John's head or Bran's head? And I really wasn't sure. And then I said, oh, maybe it's Benjen's head. Um, yeah, so that's Benjen said, he says, all right, I got to leave you guys here. Uh, Bran and, uh, oh, I forgot her name. It'll come to me. I probably have it written down here. Amira, uh, I didn't, I saw, I thought of it. There it is. Bran, is it Bran? Did I say that part at least? And they're at a crying tree. And, uh, he says, okay, I can't go through the wall. It's got some magic in there, which is, I think this might be the first time we knew ancient spells carved into its foundations, strong magic to protect the men from what lies beyond. As long as it stands, the dead cannot pass. And they said, what about you, Benjamin? He goes, the war's coming, but I'll fight for you guys on this side. And they say, thank you. Wish you both good fortune. Then they crawl to the tree, Mir and uh, Bran. And Mir says, are you ready for this? And Bran says, I'm a three-eyed raven now. Oh, so raven. Three-eyed raven. Oh, so raven. He goes, I got to be ready for this. Uh, and then we're back at the tower. They forget the scene. This is one of the main scenes that was spoiled for me, but I had forgotten it. And then I think, because I think it's called the Moon Tower. I don't, I don't know what it's called. Uh, but young Ned's there, he goes up, he sees Bran, he pauses, and he sees his sister, Liana, she whispers something to him, and Bran watches, but we don't know what she whispers, second whisper of the episode, but she said, she does say clearly, you have to protect my, she just had a baby, she's like, I want you to protect this baby, and then we see a close-up of the baby, then we see a close-up of Jon Snow, so we say, oh, it's Jon Snow, snap. Uh, he's a snow and a Targaryen, yo. And so then we see a total movie star close-up of regular Jon Snow. He's staring. Uh, something made me think of Baby Muppets. And then that, oh, that Jack, Jack the fool from the Vale, he says, you can't expect Knights of the Vale to side with uh, wildlings. I already forgot this guy's name, but he's been in trouble since season one and then the wildlings are we didn't invade we were invited he goes not by me and then they're like you know we all fought together bravely and won 
And Jensen says, we find our friends on the battlefield. Boltons are defeated. Uh, oh, this other guy says, Boltons are defeated. The war's over. We got to go home. It's going to be winter. And Jensen says, the war's not over. Uh, and this next enemy, they don't care about snow. They bring the storm. And then everyone's murmuring. They're like, oh, I don't know about this John Snow. Let's get out of here. Uh, and then Lady Truth Teller, Lady Mormon. Like after everybody goes hubbub, hubbub, I call her Lady Truth Truth Teller. I mean, if she wasn't, her and the Onion Knight, they're very complimentary of each other as far as their ability to tell. She calls out the big boys. She says, listen, Manderly, you didn't do nothing. Uh, John Snow did. Lord Glover, what the heck were you thinking? Lord Kerwin, you you didn't you know, don't you don't you love your dad? What are you thinking? You refuse to call. None of you remembered, but House Mormon remembers. The North remembers. We know no king in the North who only unless their name is Stark or something. We don't care, you know, about their bloodline. Uh, unless it's got Ned Stark's blood, which he does. And she says, he's my king from today till forever. And then the men like that. And then Mormon, uh, or no, uh, whatever, the first guy, he says, oh, yeah, Lady Mormon speaks harshly but true. He goes, I swear to you, Manderly. He says, I'm sorry, Jon Snow, you're tough. He is the white wolf, the king in the north. And then Glover says, sorry. And then Jon Snow says, don't worry, bro. He goes, I need you at my back now, though. And he goes, oh, yeah, a thousand years, except for last week, I'll, we'll be with you. And I'll stand behind Jon Snow, the king in the north. And everybody says, the king in the north, the king in the north. Which really worked out well for, uh, you know, the other, the other Starks. So let's just, uh, oh, boy. Uh, let's see, as far as the cuts and stuff, uh, the Night in the Vale, Baelish is like in a total layback during this whole thing in the shadows. Some chump wants to go home. Hubbub, Lady the Truth Teller. Sansa's watching this whole time when Lady Mormon's talking. She's got this cat grin smile going. Such a good job, such a great job acting. And Manderly steps up, Glover steps up. Uh, and then the GOT music kicks in. Jon Snow stands and breathes as they're doing the King in the North. Uh, real heavy breathing. He looks at Sansa. There's a close-up of Sansa, then there's a close-up of Jon as it sinks in that he's the King in the North. Uh, then we have a shot of Sansa. She side-eyes Baelish. And Baelish does this pucker up, sour look, and then Sansa kind of glares. I rewatched this like four or five times, and Sansa like thinks and plucks her lips. Uh, then we have Jamie and Bronn are on their way to see, uh, they're on their way to uh, King's Landing. They see like the where the Sept used to be. So Jamie's like, let's hustle, man. And then the doors of the uh, throne room open. Cersei rolls in uh, with the Gregor and the Queen's Guard. Cersei Gregor and the Queen's Guard, there's another band. And she takes the throne, uh, and Jamie's watching uh, from the ladies of the court section, uh, ladies' porch or whatever they called it, or Sir Kevin did. 
And Sir Kevin, or not Sir Kevin, Clyburn's like holding a crown uh, for Cersei. Reigns the Castamere starts playing. I think it was even mixed with uh, the theme. And uh, uh, Clyburn says, I now proclaim Cersei of the House Lannister, first of her name, Queen of the Andals and the First Men, Protector of the Seven Kingdoms. Long may she reign. Now, there's a couple of crowd shots. The crowd did not seem happy, but then they say, long may she reign. And Cersei's face is like a million, worth a million dollars. Like I said, great music. Uh, and then she takes the throne officially. She looks over at Jamie, and like no one seems happy. And then I put, Cersei is as cold and as dark as her throne, which is pretty much true. She like pretty much... Uh, the swords were like, they heard them. They said, did they just add more swords? Is this a sword person that just sat on us? A person made of uh, cold metal swords? And they said, no, like worse, uh, cold metal swords with evil uh, mixed together or something. And they said, I don't know if it's just, just a self-will gone rant, run rampant. And they said, no, no, that's scoots. And I said, okay. They said, enough thrown material. What did Scoot say? Cold and as dark as her throne. And they say, we're, on, we're not cold. We're only cold. Uh, we're only room temperature, actually. Tell him that. Tell Scoot's that. So Cersei's butt's warm. We're warm. Like when that guy, the big guy, was sitting on us, uh, we, we were warm all the time. Uh, Sir Robert. And I say, okay, thanks, Swords. Can I get back to the podcast? Oh, no problem, Scoot's. Uh, don't, you know, don't just keep us out. Just try to keep the truth. You know, we're just here, just here. That's it. Swords on the throne. We're just here, you know, sit in us if you if you should prefer warm butts. Uh, but actually that guy didn't smell so great either. So maybe not, uh, but we said, well, geez, we didn't like any of the other, Tommen was nice. And I said, hey, where's Tom? And I said, don't worry. Now listen to next week's podcast if you want to know. It'll be good news on next week's show. Uh, so that ended that scene. Then we have Theon looking up at the a pennant uh, that's in the wind against the sun. And the fleet is sailing. What does that say? Green woman? Oh, gray worm. It says G-Wom. But I know it means gray worm. And the sails with the dragon uh, thing are on there. Dragons are in the air, dipping in the water. Uh, Dothraki look pretty good on the ships. Their horses are, you know, in the holds. I don't know what that D's there for. But then we see the Khaleesi, Tyrion, Varys, and Missandei. And they're all salty. They're getting hit with salt spray. And then we know they're off towards Westeros. They all look happy or really anticipating season seven, uh, what will come. And that's the end of the episode, the end of the season. I mean, we still have the facts tonight. And we'll probably talk more next week, I think, uh, about Game of Thrones. All right. Okay, so here we are. Like I'm loading up Evernote here with uh, the notes. Um, request timed out. Um but it's uh, season 10, and it gets like, uh, uh, hopefully I won't forget to talk about Tom, and it's not in the notes here. So actually, let me, no, it's not coming up. 
Uh, well, we'll see if I remember or not. Um, uh, but we got some good stuff to talk about tonight. We'll, t- we'll just chat, talk on Leanna Stark, uh, Hazy Shade of Winter, Paul Revere and the Raiders, a couple of uh, uh, wonderful, uh, uh, what do you call it, wonders of the world, or one wonder of the world and one related thing, Terry Gilliam, and I think that's it. And then we'll do, we'll just talk real quick about Tom and if I could get this uh, thing to load here. Okay, so Leanna Stark came out of this episode. I wanted to get talk about her. I, I don't think we've delved into her too much um, on this podcast because I, I mean, or I just don't remember. And this is from Game of Thrones Wikia.com. Leanna Stark. Uh, Lady Leanna Stark's character in Game of Thrones, uh, you know, she does, she's not actually, like, there when the series begins. But she's in some flashbacks in this season. She's the younger sister of uh, Eddard Stark. Uh, she was taken by Prince Rhaegar Targaryen, which re- led to the outbreak of Robert's Rebellion. This is what I'm interested in. Uh, she she passed away during childbirth, but she gave birth to a baby boy, who this season was revealed uh, uh, to be one Jon Snow. And before you know, she passed on, she asked Ned to keep her son safe, uh, afraid that Robert would find out uh, the truth of Jon's parentage, that he was fathered by Rhaegar. Uh, Leanna Stark was the only daughter of Lord Rickard, Rickard Stark, the head of the House Stark, and Lord Paramount of the North, according to Wikia. And, you know, the North is one of the cons doing, like, uh, you know, we know what the North is. Uh, uh, Leanna had three brothers, Brandon, Eddard, and Benjamin, who we met this season, too. Her father arranged a marriage between her and Robert Baratheon, the Lord of Storm's End, and Paramount, Lord Paramount of the Stormlands. Uh, after her betrothal, uh, Lord Walter Went organized an attorney at Harrenhal, in which, in which Prince Rhaegar Targaryen, uh, heir to the Iron Throne, was the victor. Afterwards, okay, I remember this habit talk. They talked about this. Afterwards, the prince rode past his wife, Elia Martell, and placed a crown of winter roses, the crown of the Queen of Love and Beauty, on Leanna's lap. Uh, the action was considered an outrage because not only was Rhaegar married, but Leanna was betrothed. Uh, at some point, Rhaegar took Leanna, took herself, hit her in Dorn. Uh, Brandon had been uh, on his way to River Run to wade, wed Caitlin Tully, instead went to King's Landing to demand Rhaegar's arrest. The king, Aerys Targaryen, had him charged with treason and demanded their fathers and including Rickard Stark, come to King's Landing, and, and he said they would get a fair trial. And instead, the, the king did, didn't keep his promise. Uh, that incident started the rising of Robert's Rebellion. John Aaron was uh, commanded to arrest and turn over Robert, Bar- Robert Baratheon and Eddard Stark, but he refused. And the three of them rose in rebellion with Hooster Tully after Eddard and John married his daughters, Caitlin and Lisa. 
Uh, then, you know, House Targaryen barely made it out. Robert became queen, or <laughs> queen. Robert became king. Uh, we will know what happened. Robert continued, he, he loved her. Uh, but then he married Cersei. Cersei. Eddard was mad at Robert for uh, uh, holding Tywin Lannister accountable for the sack of King's Landing. But then their friendship was rekindled because they're both sad about Lyanna. So that, that's a little bit about Lyanna Stark there. And then when you think about the Winds of Winter, you know, it's very poetic. I think about this little piece of uh, uh, poeticism. Hazy shade of winter. Time, time, time. See what's become of me. While I looked around for my possibilities. I was so hard to please. But look around, leaves are brown. The sky is a hazy shade of winter. You're the Salvation Army Band, down by the riversides, bound to be a better ride than what you've got planned. Carry your cup in your hand and look around you. Leaves are brown now, and the sky is a hazy shade of winter. Uh, Hang on to your hopes, my friend. It's an easy thing to say, but if your hopes should pass away, simply pretend that you can build them again. Look around, the grass is high, the fields are ripe, it's the springtime of my life. Seasons change with the scenery, weaving time into tapestry. Won't you stop and remember me, at any convenient time? Funny how my memory skips, looking over manuscripts of unpublished rhyme, drinking my vodka and lime. I look around, leaves are brown, and the sky is a hazy shade of winter. Look around, leaves are brown. There's a patch of snow on the ground. Look around, leaves are brown. There's a patch of snow on the ground. And that's A Hazy Shade of Winter, written by Simon and Garfunkel, released on October 22nd, according to Wikipedia, in 1966. Originally as a single, but consequently went on their fourth album, Bookends, peaked at number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100. In eight, oh, wow. Speaking of uh, Tom, in, in 87, the Bengals released a cover for the so- song for the movie Less Than Zero. That got to number two. Uh, they recorded it during the sessions for Parsley, Sage, Rosemary, and Time, but didn't make it on the album. A uh, hazy shade of winter follows a more rock-tinged sound with fairly straightforward verse-refrain structure. It dates back to Simon's days in England in 65. The song follows a hopeless poet with manuscripts of unpublished rhyme, unsure of his achievements in life. And a transition from fall to winter. And that's about it. They talk about the Bengals' uh, version. But yeah, and there's one other personal connection I have to it, which uh, uh, which is that, like, at some point in, I guess, early high school. No, actually, it was in, in high school. I think, actually, it wasn't in early high school. But uh, me and my friends started making movies. And we make a lot of parody movies about school. And we made this one movie. 
uh, based, you know, like fan fiction. It was based on the lives of two of our teachers outside of school. And I played a math teacher, and my friend Pat, uh, he played uh, the English teacher that I had a great affinity for. Uh, math teacher and I didn't get along so great, but, uh, and we, you know, that, that, uh, Hazy Shade of Winter was in the, uh, was in the movie because the, the English teacher, he loved the outdoors. So he was out in the outdoors, uh, in, in, in the winter, in the Hazy Shade of Winter. So that's Hazy Shade of Winter. Uh, so next up is Paul Revere and the Raiders. And the reason, and a couple of reasons I looked this up. One was that uh, I just, when the Sparrow and the Septons went into the Sept, I said uh, Sparrow and the Seven Septons or something. I can't remember what I wrote down, but it just sounded like one of these bands. And I also, not on this podcast so much, but I had a, like a while, either I was detecting Paul Revere and Raiders I think I was using it as a punchline a lot of times. And this is just my own personal thing. This isn't anything. Well, one, I don't think I could name up all Revere and Raiders song. Uh, so so this is just a personal bias. Uh, but but I always represented this music to me uh, that my father liked. Uh, that I said, well, that's not 60s. And, and that a music that, that came from a genre I couldn't identify with. And just that, like my dad, and then, you know, that right now in Florida, somewhere at this very moment, there's a, you know, somewhere there's a retirement community and there's a Paul and Revere. And like, that's what I'd use. Like, I, well, I did write this sh- story and it takes place at a retirement community. And that was like one of the, the introduction to the retirement community was a Paul Revere and the Raiders cover band playing. But then I rewrote. It. I said, "This is this is how, uh, how much I analyzed." And I said, "Well, Monkey's cover band would be more relevant because I couldn't even can't remember even what the cover name. I think I did have a pretty good one for Paul Revere and the Raiders, maybe like Three Lamps or something. I don't know what I. But you know, I can't remember now what the Monkey's cover band. People say we monkey around." No, hey, hey, where are the monkeys? No, I'll th- maybe I'll think of it. I, I, it was a good one. Oh, maybe it was. I don't think it was monkey business. Maybe it was though. But anyway, so I said, let's look up this Paul Revere. Let's let's get the record straight, Scoots. Like, let's actually find out who Paul Revere and the Raiders are. So, according to Rick Wikipedia, they're an American rock band that had mainstream success in the '60s and the '70s. Uh, their top hits were Kicks, uh, 66, uh, Hungry. Is that the Route 66 song? Him or Me, What's It Gonna Be? Uh, and another song that kind of feels pejorative. Uh, so they were originally from Boise, Idaho. And they are an instrumental rock band originally, ran by Paul Revere Dick, D-I-C-K. That's what it says here who passed away in 2014. In his early 20s, he owned several restaurants in Caldwell, Idaho, where he met Mark Lindsay uh, while picking up a hamburger buns from the bakery where Lindsay worked. The circumstance of their meeting was later referred to in The Legend of Paul Revere. 
and Lindsay joined the band. Then they were originally called the Downbeats, and they became Paul Revere and the Raiders. On the eve of their first record release, that's a very bad time to change the name of your band, but it worked out. Uh, they had their first hit in the Pacific Northwest in 61 with the instrumental like long hair. Peaked at 38 on the Billboard charts, and Revere was drafted for military service, became a conscientious objector. Worked as a cook at a mental institution for to serve for its service. Lindsay pumped gas. Uh, but Lindsay also t- toured on the strength of their single with Leon Russell taking Revere's place on piano. And then there's a lot, wow, there's a lot about them here. So they were in the 70s, wow, in the 80s. But this is really dense. Their fans are really verbose because this is like one of the densest Wikipedia articles I've ever seen in my life. And this doesn't make fun of them at all. Like I just, it was like literally one of those bands I have a total uh, disconnect with. I'm sure my daughter will be like that about like the seventies. Jeez, I don't even want to think about what she'll, she'll that'll be for her. But um, I mean, I guess it seems like they were just stuck in the gap between the sixties and the seventies. I don't know. Maybe I'll listen to some of their music, but like after I get done recording it. But yeah, it's just a little bit about Paul Revere and the Raiders. Sorry, guys. I I just uh, that was just way too much. Uh, I've honestly, it was very rare that a Wikipedia article scares me off, but I said, holy mackerel, I don't even know where to start there. And again, there can be things that are too boring for this podcast, especially when you're up against something like this next topic. And this is one of these things that's been a love of mine since childhood into adulthood and then makes me love um, Game of Thrones even more is the ancient wonders of the world or the wonders of the ancient world, and the lighthouse of Alexandria, like the lighthouse in Old Town, or whatever town Sam and Gilly were in. You know, I'm not good with that, but uh, this is a Wikipedia article on the lighthouse of Alexandria, uh, and I get a couple other articles, uh, sometimes called Pharos of Alexandria. was a lighthouse built by the Ptolemaic Kingdom in between 280 and 247 B.C., and it was somewhere around uh, 393 to 450 or 120, 137 meters tall. It was one of the tallest man-made structures in the world for many centuries. It got hit by three earthquakes between 957 A.D. and 1323. I mean, you think about that. It was built between so, somewhere in the, the B.C., two, the two, late 200s. Or, I mean, it's crazy. And then it became an abandoned ruin. It was the third longest surviving ancient wonder uh, until 1480 when it was uh, quarried away uh, to build the city uh, citadel of Quit Bay. In 1994, uh, they found some on the floor of the harbor, which we'll talk about a little bit. Uh, Pharos was a small island located on the western edge of the Nile Delta. In 332, Alexander the Great followed the city of Alexandria on the isthmus opposite to Pharos, or Pharos, probably Pharos. Uh, they were later connected by a mole spanning more than three quarters of a mile. 
which was called the Hepa, Hepa, Hepta Stadion, the Seven Stadia, which is a Greek unit of length, meaning 180 meters. Uh, the east side of the mole became the Great Harbor, and now an open bay. And the west side was a port in uh, another modern harbor. Okay, that doesn't... Construction. It was constructed in the 3rd century after Alexander the Great passed of a great fever at age 32. Uh, Ptolemy announced himself king in 305 and commissioned the construction thereafter. Uh, the building was finished during the reign of his son, the uh, second Ptolemy. It took 12 years to complete at the cost of 800 talents and served as a, po- a prototype for all later lighthouses in the world. Light was produced by a furnace at the top, and the tower was said to be built mostly, mostly of solid blocks of limestone. Uh, you know, Pliny the Elder wrote about it, uh, and there, you know, it's, it's, maybe Sostratus is uh, the person who designed it. Uh, Judith McKenzie writes that most of the descriptions of the lighthouse are consistent, although it was repaired several times after earthquake damage. Uh, so they in- indicate a tower with three tapering tiers. Uh, it could have been square, octagonal, or uh, circular with a substantial ramp. Uh, it probably was constructed from large box blocks of light-colored stone made up to two... It was three lower stages, a lower square section with a central core, a middle octagonal section, and at the top a circular section. Uh, At its apex was a mirror which reflected sunlight during the day and a fire was lit at night. Uh, Some coins show uh, a statue of Triton was positioned on each of the building's corners and Poseidon and Zeus stood upon the top of the lighthouse. Uh, the masonry blocks were interlocked, sealed together using molten lead to withstand the pounding of the waves. So pretty amazing. I mean, and then just even more amazing that they could do such a good job on Game of Thrones of recreating it. And there's a couple, let's see, there's a, there's a Nova episode about the sunken, uh, it's called uh, Treasures of the Sunken city so if you go to nova and you search for it you i don't know if you can if if it's an older episode so you might not be able to watch it but i'll link to it um and you could check it out maybe you could watch it through your local thing and then there's this website earthables.com and this is an article by earthables uh sunken ruins of alexandria will be the first world's first underwater museum I don't see a date on this, though. Instead of removing artifacts from the water and bringing them to tourists, it'll soon be the other way around. A $150 million museum is being planned that will bring guests to the relics location on the Egyptian seabed. They're going to turn the submerged ruins of ancient Alexandria into an underwater museum. Uh, Designed by a French architect, the plans were put on hold but are said to be back on track. Uh, fiberglass tunnels will connect waterfront galleries to underwater viewing areas where the visitors can see the ruins in context. 
And the museum will feature four tall buildings with fiberglass tunnels uh, with 22 feet deep viewing platforms. There'll be glass submarines that can tour the area, or you could go diving. Part of the purpose of the project is to protect the ruins, which are prominent targets for thieves and difficult to police without permanent infrastructure. Uh, guests will be able to admire the sunken lighthouse and one of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, as well as the royal court or Cleopatra's palace, of which uh, there's 60 pieces, including a sunken sphinx. Talk about great alliteration. Sunken sphinx. You've sunk my sphinx. Uh, so, so that sounds cool. I'd love to visit that if it gets built. And then I said, then Sam went to this amazing library and he said, oh, wait, was the library in the, in the ancient world? I said, was that in the same city? And then I said, holy George R. Martin, it was. Because uh, this is the Royal Library of Alexandra, Alexandria, uh, one of the largest and most significant libraries in the ancient world. It was de- dedicated to the muses, the goddesses of the art, and it flourished under the patronage of the Ptolemaic dynasty. And was a, a function of a major scholarship from the third century until the Roman con- t- uh, conquest in 30 BC. It had you know, lecture halls, meeting rooms, gardens. So it was part of a larger research institution like the Museum of Alexandria, where most of the famous uh, th- free thinkers of the world studied. It was created by Ptolemy I. Uh, most of the books were on papyrus scrolls, and it's unknown how many scrolls were housed there. And the library is most famous for having been burned down, where they when they lost a bunch of the scrolls in the books. A great loss of cultural knowledge, and not everyone's sure what exactly happened. Uh, or maybe it had a few fires over the years. Uh, or was it Julius Caesar in 48? Uh, after the main library was destroyed, scholars used a daughter library in a temple nearby. Uh, structurally, the exactly how the library isn't known, but it sounded pretty sweet. And, you know, libraries rule. I'm lucky enough to uh, have worked at a few different ones. So uh, I just think it was cool how Sam was so happy, too. Uh, so it was very enjoyable uh uh, the library at Alexandria. And then I wanted to talk, like, just something about that scene at the library reminded me of Terry Gilliam. So I said, geez, let's get a little Terry Gilliam in here, I, somebody I look up to. And so where better, you know, what better way to tribute Terry Gilliam than his Wikipedia page? Uh, but Terrence Vance Terry Gilliam, he was born uh, the 22nd of November 1940. Uh, American-born British screenwriter, film director, animator, actor, comedian, and member of Monty Python. He's directed 12 uh, feature films, including Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Time Bandits, Brazil, Adventures of Baron Munchausen, The Fisher King, 12 Monkeys, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Brother Grimm's, and The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, the only Python not born in Britain. He became a naturalized citizen in 1968. 
He was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, but we don't need to dig into his personal life. Uh, Career-wise, he started his career as an animator and strip cartoonist. Uh, One of his early photographic strips for Help featured a Python cast member, John Cleese. When Help went out of of business, uh, Gilliam went to Europe, uh, said he was going to get transferred to the European branch of the magazine, which didn't exist. Then he animated sequences for children's series, and uh, uh, he was also working with uh, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, and Michael, Michael Palin. And then Gilliam was part of Monty Python's uh, Flying Circus from the outset. First credited as an animator. Uh, his name was all sometimes listed separately after the other five uh, and later as a full member. His cartoons linked the sketches together and defined their visual language and other media, like book covers and album covers and title sequences for films. Uh, he definitely had his own style. Uh, Gilliam, Gilliam also created animations for Sesame Street, uh, a bunch of different stuff. And in 78, he published a, a book. Uh, 15 years later, between the release of Monty Python's CD-ROM game, which used it, he, he Gilliam, in the making of Gilliam's film, Okay, this kind of this talks just talks about CD-ROM stuff. Uh, directing with the gradual breakup of the Python troupe between uh, Life of Brian and the Meaning of Life, Gilling became a screenwriter and director, building upon the experience he acquired making Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Uh, Gilliam said he used to think of his film in terms of trilogy, starting with Time Bandits. Uh, he saw the Gilliam saw that as a trilogy of imagination, Time Bandits, Brazil, and Munchausen, and all these uh, movies focus on the struggles and attempts to. Anyway, I don't want to get too deep into that because um, it's I don't know if it's not uh, it's too complicated. Then he did an American Fisher King, Twelve Monkeys, and Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And here's a quote from Terry Gilliam talking with uh, Salman Rushdie. What I, well, I really want to encourage a kind of fantasy, a kind of magic. I love the term magical realism, whoever invented it. I do actually like it because it says certain things. It's about expanding how you see the world. I think we live in an age where we're just hammered, hammered to think that this is what the world is. Television saying, everything saying, that's the world, and it's not the world. The world is a million possible things. So I think that's, you know, great. I mean, there's tons of other stuff about it. And, of course, there's the famous, uh, he, he had, to, and I don't know if he's still, oh, this is interesting, because he, he was in this, uh, well, let's read through this, production problems. Gilliam has made a few extremely expensive movies with production problems. He had problems with uh, Universal Studios on Brazil. And then Baron Munchausen was expensive and didn't get wide release. In the 90s, Gilliam and Charles McCown, or McEwen had a script for Time Bandits 2, but it never got made. Then he tried to make a version of uh, Tale of Two Cities. 
He's tried to adapt The Watchmen by Alan Moore. Uh, he tried to adapt The Watchmen by Alan Moore uh, twice, um, and those were unsuccessful. Then he, in 99, he tried to make The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. And uh, you had European financing at $32 million, one of the most expensive uh, European-financed films. And that's the movie featured in uh, Lost in La Mancha, uh, which is pretty amazing. And I think they're still trying to restart making that, or I guess they said they restarted in 2008. He also tried to get funding for the adaptation of Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Um, but, uh, they couldn't get that happening. And he just had, it seems like he's had some bad luck. Uh, but I've always, I mean, I just love his movies. Uh, so there's a lot more about that there, but, uh, but yeah, that's a little bit about Terry Gilliam. And then before we move on here, I just want to let everybody know that, uh, you know, there will be one more episode this year, uh, next week for Game of Thrones. I mean, I mean, for this podcast. And, you know, when you're, uh, when you're using, when you're like violating the, you know, when you're going across the transverse plane, like my access to Tommen, and I know people are still probably in shock with Tommen, uh, or Toman, but, but, you know, with, you know, you have a lot of layers here. You have actually what's going on in Westeros. Then you have the filming of Game of Thrones. Then you have, so I have to navigate both of those. I have to get Tommen's time, Tommen's time. And then I also have to stay, I have to avoid George R. R. Martin, Weiss, and Benioff and not get caught by any of them messing around with Tommen. Uh, so believe it or not, what you're going to hear coming up was was recorded. You know, I could only get access to Tommen a couple weeks before uh, the events of the last episode, you know, because that was when I could get into his bedroom, you know, and, and get him, you know, secret, 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 secret time with him. Uh, but I just re-listened to it and I said, holy cow, uh, you know, because with Tom and, you know, with Cersei's history, even though I hadn't seen, I said, you know, I've always, and I care greatly, greatly for Tom and. So you could, if you hear this, and trust me, things are going to be fine. Don't worry one bit uh, about it. You know, when you have, let me just say this, like when you have a, a machine that goes across transverse plane, don't worry. Okay, but this will be, and this will, this will really make you feel good. A little time and, uh, you know, just like we want to remember him. Okay, so here you go. Okay, Budman. Yeah, I'm ready, Tom. Okay, are you ready? Because we're right in the middle of the action. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready as I'll ever be. He's a pounce. Did you hear that? Uh, he's as ready as he'll ever be. Where's my own? I'm sorry. What did you say? Did, did you say that? Rasm, Rasmrom, Rasmrom, Podman, as the pounce likes to say. Not even sure what that means, but I know what he means, you know, uh, is it ready as I'll ever be? <laughs> so you ready to be you ready to be put on a bike if you were working for me, which you are. Well listen, Tom, and before I'd rather we if we could talk just for a second before we uh oh what is you you have something to say to to you to your your king? 
Uh, yes, Your Grace, it's just been such an honor. Oh, since you really are learning. Yeah, yes, Your Grace. So I'm going to, you know, we're not going to see each other for a little while here-ish, you know. So I just wanted to know how much I'm pr- how proud I am of you for for your journey into self-discovery. Like I see, Tom, and I'm not, like, can you make eye contact with me? Oh, Podman, it's making me feel good when I'm, I don't know if I can maintain eye contact, but I will try. Well, I just want to say I'm genu- genuinely, pr- I'm, I'm impressed. I'm so impressed. This is so against uh, kind of my storytelling rules. Well, I guess I still look bad, so that's good, you know, because I, I can be the foil. Uh, but I'm just so proud of you. I'm really profoundly impressed. Uh, I mean, not what's with what's going on in Westeros. I have no comments on that. But uh, with uh, with you with our time together, and mostly, I mean, just like, and I don't, I mean, in parallel, I've only been here as a witness to see you change and grow. And this journey. I, I, okay, that's enough of the eye contact. I, I get it, Vadman. Uh, but you know, I, I appreciate it. I do feel almost uh, like, uh, uh, well, let's just go on with the adventure. Okay. It's easier to discuss. I'm learning from you to just, in, uh, let's uh, see my problems through Sapounce's eyes, uh, deal with my problems through story. I'm learning so much from you, Podman. How to, uh, indirectly deal with my problems by running to, through fiction. Oh, Podman, you you have taught me so much. I have grown. I would much rather deal with a tentacled woman made of vines invading me and, you know, controlling me. Uh, so can we just deal with that, please? Uh, and taking my cat away, which is where we left, left off. Uh, okay. Okay, the Podman, that was an awkward silence there. Okay, you're still looking at me. You're patting me. Don't pat me. That is a bad, that is a strange pat. I want to just say, I'm going to miss you. Can I have a hug? Okay, so about should I give you Yes, man. Yes, I better give you a hug. You're right. Okay, here. Okay, bad man. It's okay. It's okay. Your, your Tom is fine. Your, your, your prince, your king is fine. Okay. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Kipounce Radio, the radio of best friendship. We interrupt your regularly scheduled program for an adventure with Domin and Sapounce on K-Pounce Radio, radio for best friends of boys and cats and adventure and friendship everywhere, K-Pounce Radio. Okay, Podman. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Tommen and Pounce in the Road to Zelda Discovery, where a boy and his cat have journeyed deep into the Temple of Del- Zelda Discovery in search of adventure and treasure. Our heroes, Tommen and Pounce, have dodged many challenges, but now they face the greatest challenge. The Queen of Vines, who controls the temple, has started to bring, has taken away Sapounce, hidden Sapounce away, and started to bring the temple down around Sir Tommen, unless he will take her uh, back to it. Okay, just cut it, okay? Just say. Uh, will uh, as the temple crumbles around Sir Tommen, will he escape? Will he find Subhouse? And what has become of Zero? Ladies and gentlemen, the final episode of the final episode. Yeah, because next time we'll do another. Oh, uh, 
Okay, well, it's fine. So, pounces, yeah, raisins. Okay, that's fine. Raisins, uh, Padman. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Tom and Pounce in the road deserve discovery as we join him. The He's covered in vines. His cat is missing and the temple is rumbling. Oh, dear, you really got me good, uh, Queen of Vines. I'll never get you. Maybe I should just relent and, uh, and take you. What are you going to do? You're going to crush the temple on me because I won't take you back to Westeros to help me rule. Tom, and if I cannot be the queen at your side or silently in the background guiding your actions, I won't have you guided by anyone else. Okay, so I must bend to your will, or because you will not bend to mine. Is that correct, Lady Vines? You'll just crash. Now, what will become of you if the temple falls? Well, I'll be fine. I'm just a plant-based woman, so it'll crumble on me, and some of my vines will be damaged, and some will not, and then, uh, you know, then I'll just grow again and wait for another temple to be built and another boy to come. Okay, Lady Vines, let me, how about if I pitch you on something else? So you're going to crumble the temple, and then what if, uh, you know, the Padman, he was telling me there's something called vine disease, uh, and I think it might be on my shoes. Have you heard about this at all? It's it, it's in the Bay Area. That's where the Padman lives. And apparently it's, it's, it's something that's easy to spread, uh, by contact. Oh boy, did you touch my feet at all, Lady Vine? Queen of Vines? I, I, yes, I did, but I don't do your trickery will not work here. Oh, it's not, it's not trickery at all. Uh, unfortunately, I see, he said it's not good for the vines. It's, uh, something, something, vine doom or something, they call it. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I'm just a fool. You no reason to be worried. I think he said it's uh, it starts with tightness in the vine. Are you feeling tight at all, Lady Vine? Only my grip on you and your cat and the, the whole temple that I'm trying to crash around you. Oh boy. Uh, it may, yeah, it could be that. It could be. Cold. I wonder if it's uh, which came first. You, Lady Vine, could you walk back uh, before you started your tight grip on me? Uh, did your vines start to feel tight before you had a grip on me or before after? I don't Hmm. I do not know. Okay, because, I mean, I just hate to see you because I had another idea for you to rule someone other than me because they cannot be ruled. I'm a ruler, not a rulee. And the journey to self-discovery has taught me uh, that the treasure I treasure most is my, my best friend, Sir Pounce. Uh, well, what if this, Lady Vine? Let's, you don't need to let me go. Obviously, I'm the one you want. Let Sir Pounce go and then stretch your vines out that are holding him and see if they remain tight. I mean, he's just a big cat. Uh, he could not do any harm. Okay, I guess, uh, and the, yeah, and then just, don't worry. I will not try to escape. Uh, I'm just a, you know, I'm just a pudgy boy. You know, I'm just nothing but your, I'm caught in your grasp. Uh, okay, I've let your cat go, but that came already up quickly. He's licking you. Uh, yes, thank you, Sir Pounce. Don't worry, Sir Pounce. She, she has me. Uh, we are caught, Sir Pounce. We will do nothing uh, 
uh, to fight back. I think she has a suppounce. Uh, could you lick my feet and taste if you taste any ger- vine germs? Mason. Uh, uh, suppounce doesn't want to lick my feet, Lady Vine. I'm sorry. Uh, how are your vines feeling down there? Are they feeling tense wherever you were holding suppounce? I, 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 they, uh, maybe. Okay, how about this? Uh, this is what I'm thinking, Lady Vine. Now, you'd have to let me go for me to agree to give you this idea. But I was thinking, you know, the place where the vine thing is is where the Podman lives, right? Okay. And uh, so they're probably working because there's all the rich people. That's where they drink the wine, you know. Uh, my, my uncle, he likes to drink wine. And he gets so nasty sometimes. Uh, but anyway, they, they're working on a cure there. I'm sure they have probably, there's so many people. They say, we need our wine. Uh, fix the vine. I think that is the chant they sing. So I'm sure they have a cure for it there. And, now, lady, you know, I would not just make you a silly offer like that. I respect you as Queen of Vines. But I don't know if you really get rid of Zero, but really Zero was the Podman. That was just a character he was playing (laughs) in proportion to his value, Lady Vine. (laughs) He's a Zero, Zero. Yes, 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 but he's actually my friend, too. I'm just uh, uh, diminishing his value for his own safe. Well, it's about we need to diminish Zero's value. Master man. Less than, we already said, oh, you said, what did you say, Sipounce? Mason man. Bass and Shane. Bass and Bane. I don't know, Sipounce. I, I don't know what you're talking about again. Martian man. Martian sane. Anyway, Lady Vine, Sapounce is a, he thought it was hilarious, I think. Right, Sapounce? Massim? Yes, yes, okay. Uh, but is he, if you did not get rid of Zero, he's the pod man. What I'm thinking is if you don't release him yet, actually plug his ears just in case he's listening. Uh, uh, the pod man has this strange thing, it's called an eel phone show. Where, do you know what an eel is, an electric eel? I do. Okay, you do know what an electric eel is. Well, an electric eel, you put it over your ears. And I believe there's other things, a pod phone and a plugger and a you do, dune to, dune to dode. Is it dune load? Dune load. In a, you know, this is just not, a, they have magic mirrors where they live, Lady Vines. Uh, well, what you could do, it, well, I can't finish it. You'll have to let me go. I mean, your your vines are so tight, I could tell you're probably sick. Uh, is, is is your nose running? Is that your nose there in the center of that trunk? I do not have a nose, but uh, well, something is running. I, I, I could finish telling you this idea because he has an eel phone show is what I'm saying, and he has, he has a mild influence. People find him... Uh, they say he's intriguing. He's idiosyncratic, or uh, whatever the w- weird. He's a weird guy, Podman. Zero, zero is an understatement. He's uh, he's like not a number. You know, you say, "What the heck number is that?" I've never seen it before. And you say, "Well, it's like a zero, but he—I he, mean, he's a zero, but we don't know how to calculate." Uh, anyway, Lady Vine. 
I'll tell you what, you, you let me go and I'll tell you the rest of my idea. It's that simple. And I, I mean, it's a pretty good idea if I don't say so. But I mean, I do. Okay, Tom, and I will trust you, uh, for you seem to have grown so on this journey. Well, you see, Lady Vina, the Podman is my friend. Thank you for letting me go. That was very undramatic. Uh, you just kind of withdrew your vines. I worry about the Padme. He's really not the best decider of his own life, you know. I mean, if he could only make like a, a 12% of the decisions in his life, I think he would be in good shape. But he has to, you know, unfortunately, he tries to make 51%, and that is not good. And his earphone show has a, like a... And this is going to sound hilarious, and you don't even know him. It's to put people to sleep. Uh, he just talks and just does his, he just has to be himself. I did a great routine. I don't know if you heard it. Uh, no. Okay. Well, anyway, Lady Vine. Uh, but what if you uh, went with the Podman? He talks, he's friend, he loves talking to plants. And you could go as equals and maybe instead of dominating him, because he doesn't do good with that, you have to be a little tricky with him. Uh, direct confrontation. It writes the pounce with the podman. As I'm, yeah, it's a mess. He's a, it'll be a mess. you got to trick him a little bit. Uh, so why don't you do that? Why don't you let Zero go, oh, podman, and... Uh, and we, we, we will, I will, uh, well, you could just, uh, climb into his pocket or something, a little piece of you. Oh, no, no, I have an idea. He loves Baki. He prays to the old gods and the new. Did you know that? Lady Vine, I don't know what faith you, uh, practice. Vine, Vine faith. I get it. Suppose that was a joke. And yes, it was, it was good. It was too over her head, though. Over her vines. Oh, boy. But anyway, Lady Vines, I'm just joking. Uh, he praises Baki, which is a tree god. He also has a thing for Groot. And he has this dancing Groot, which is actually a great fun. We would we will dance with dancing Groot. It was a great fun for five or six minutes, and then Sopounce likes to swipe it with his paws. Sopounce, what do you think of dancing Groot? Yes. Yes, it's pure pleasure. Uh... You could make yourself into a dancing Baki, even though it's a vine. The Podman, he's not good with that, that kind of a nuance. So he won't even know. Just make it look like a tree and make it dance. And I think you, we could convince him that you'll be friends. And then he, will, he already talks to Dancing Groot. He says, what should I do? Fight or flight, dancing Groot. That's what he. Those are his his things. That's how he deals with stuff. He fights it or he flights it. Which he's trying to teach me is so funny. I think he's learning though. I'm trying to help him by saying, "Oh, you're so helpful to me." Okay, his ears are plugged, right? Yes, they are, Tom. And and then you could take over for him, like you could subtly influence his listeners on his uh, earphone show. And then dominate his world. It's, it's fine with me. As long as I could visit and you don't, you know, keep the Podman. Don't change him. Uh, just kind of help him uh, for your own own use. Uh, Podman, I I think I could do that. Uh, wow, Tommen. I am so impressed. Uh, 
I must let you go with your your road to self-discovery is such an unexpected thing. Oh, not to me, it's not. I knew this temple. Well, I don't need any gold. I just did it to keep, you know, to keep the pod. I said, uh, this quest, this whole quest this season, was to pounce an eye on the road to self-discovery, K-Pounce Radio. You know, I became a man long ago, but I, you know, I play the role that Podman needs me to because he needs me. I'm no longer covering his ears, so he's on his way up. Okay, well, uh, Lady Vine, go get your, uh, can you get what we need? It is already done. Uh, okay, where, oh, you're going to push it. Okay, it's behind that rock. Okay, thank you. Oh, zero, you ran in here. Just as I was talking about how much I need you, uh, like helping you and working with you. What, what, what happened to Lady Vine? Oh, she has decided to withdraw from the temple, but not to bring it down on us. Uh, but I guess we, we our journey was for not uh, zero, for we did not discover any treasure. Yeah, all the treasure rooms have been caved in. Uh, Sapounce, what are you call, call, what are you doing, Sapounce? Sapounce sees something, uh, Zero, behind that rock there. Maybe that is the true treasure. Okay, I'll check. Okay. Oh, it's this. It's a. It's a. It's like a pot with a. It looks like a dancing Groot, but it's different. Oh wow, is that the treasure we've been searching for? Uh, it almost looks like a god, like a Barky. Remember you told me about Barky, uh, Zero, Podman, Zero. So the god you praise, so your favorite of the gods, beloved Barky. Uh, so, Pounce, you know, remember we, the Podman was trying to teach us to take faith in Barky. Yes, it, it, maybe it is Barky. Well, Podman, why don't you ask it a question or ask it to dance? Uh, Barky, could you dance? Oh, it is dancing, a different dance than Dancing Groot. Badman, why don't you ask it for some advice, like when you talk to Dancing Groot, and you say, should I fight or flight? But ask it something maybe more, maybe this one, it seems to be a treasure, not something you bought on uh, the website. Uh, so maybe it will have better advice for you. Okay. Hey, dancing, uh, Barky. Uh, no, no, Podman, it's dancing. Oh, no, it is dancing, Barky. Hi, uh, sh- sh- how do we get out of the temple? Oh, you're pointing this way. Like, should we follow it, Tommen? Uh, why don't you follow it, Zero, and I'll see if you make it out and then just yell back to me. Okay. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm sure it'll be showing us the way out of the temple and back to, uh, once we came, oh, yes, right out here is the, uh, oh, there's sunlight down there. Oh, wow. Uh, why don't you ask it another question, uh, Zero? Um, dancing, Barky, I'm really, uh, I, I don't know when I'm going to get back to my own city. I'm worried that I won't be have any certainty in what I will, will I ever do without, when Tommen re- returns to Westeros, I'll have no one to teach me how to make decisions. Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, maybe the Barky's not as good as me, but, uh, oh, it's just petting your hand. It's a comforting saying, don't fight, don't fright, flight or fright, bad man.
Oh, that's right. I forgot. Fight. Flight or fright. You you do fright mostly. Oh, but here we are at the clearing where the ruining of Bruce Bolton time fantasy fiction machine is. You still haven't gotten busted by Georgia R. Ah. Okay, Podman. Well, uh, Zero, it has been a pleasure on this adventure. You could turn back into Podman now. Uh, you now have the treasure from the temple. It is yours to keep, not mine. Uh, for you have pr- proven yourself a wealthy. Well, I'm wealthy. I don't need the treasure. I mean, this is your wealth and the knowledge that Barky will be here with you. Uh, for Sir Bounce and I, adventure in itself is a reward. Uh, the adventure of the road to Zelf Discover I, or any roads, uh, when a boy and his best friend, best friends in friendship and bravery, take that road, uh, it is the journey and not the destination that is adventure. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And for me, for you, it's just like, you know, you're lucky. You, I thought you had already gotten, uh, you know, stuck in the temple for forever, you know, for eternity. But uh, you have this dancing Baki now, and you can return. So it's time for us to return. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you for another season of uh, Tom and Insa Pounce on K-Pounce Radio, Radio of Best Friendship, the radio where boys and cats feel brave. And feel like friends because best friendship and best friendship. I, I guess I'm thinking. I can't wait to get back to Westeros. I, uh, uh together in friendship. Okay, K Pounce Radio. Okay, Batman, finish up. Uh, K Pounce Radio. That's in the adventure with Tom and Subhouse. Stay tuned for later adventures in the future on K Pounce Radio. Radio. A best friendship of boys and cats. Oh, okay, Tom. Tom, this is real though. How did this happen? This is like a real dancing barky. Yeah, Bob, man, it's my gift to you because you're my friend, and I appreciate you uh, making adventures for me, even though they're you know mediocre. But uh, I appreciate you trying your best. Like that's what's important, Podman. You just do your best. Even if it's not good enough, uh, and you don't have a name like me, you say, I can do my best. And they say, well, Sir Kevin, you cleaned it up. Uh, you know, your problem, not mine. Like, in some sense, my best is always good enough. Where yours, is, you did your best, it's good enough. You know, Do you understand the difference? Uh, but it's, either way, it's okay. It's just for me, I have, you know, plenty of food and riches and, and things. And for you, it's okay. You, you, it's the best you can do. But now you have a dancing Baki to talk to when Sir Pounce and I aren't here. Wow, Tom, and you really know how to make somebody feel totally at ease with the world. At ease with the world, Podman, that's a good one. You'll never feel at ease in any world. Neither will I. It's a, it's, it's a thing. We are... Uh, but travelers across, uh, you know, only so many people can transverse plane, Padman. I think that is what I've learned on this journey. Uh, people that are different, uh, people that are laughed at and, and uh, made fun of, uh, sometimes people that lose their temper, uh, that lose their way, 
uh, people that feel sad on the inside, Podman, like the two of us. And uh, But we're lucky to have companions like Sapounce and Dancing Barky uh, because we know maybe it's okay. Maybe we're meant to be adventuring in strange places because we, we're strange too. Like that song, people are strangers when you're a stranger, something and something. Uh, look at dancing, Bucky's dancing to the song barely. Uh, but you've taught me, Podman, in in many ways, mostly examples. Uh, that uh, you know, well, one, I'm grat grat gratitudinal or whatever you call it for being a Lannister. That's the best part. But that it's okay that I'm not uh, what Mother wants, and that is a a boy that yells in a well might be different than a boy who, you know, looks like Lancel or whatever you want to call it. Is it you know, now things are different for him. But uh, my point is, Podman, you've told me, one, I'm not the Podman. You know, I'm not zero, so that's a good start. And then it's okay. I can just be Tommen or Tolman, as they say now. I can just be myself. I'll always be a Lannister, probably, unless I change, you know. But, uh, and I'll always have two best friends. Well, one best friend, Sapounce, and you, Podman. And that means more to me than any treasure. Uh, even though I already said that already during the show, it does. It means a lot to me, Podman. You mean a lot to me. And just because, you know, you're going to be fine. I think this is our friendship has reached a point where you need me more. And I'm not even saying that just because I'm king and all the great stuff. But Podman, no, you have all these, the people that listen to your show, your your earphone show, and Dancing Barky. They care about you too, just like I do. And so you're going to be okay. Just stop freaking out all the time and saying, it's going to be okay, Podman. Okay, you know that, right? Uh, what did you do with Tommen? Oh, Padman, don't uh, diffract it with uh, your your comedy. It's okay. You're going to be okay, Padman. You've told me that. No, I am afraid. Am I going to be okay? I hope so, Tommen, because I'll miss you. And, uh, I mean, yeah. Okay, it's awkward now because we're too close and we were already strange to begin with. So, so Pounce, what do we do now? Mazen. Hug him. Okay, let's all hug. Okay, come bring it in. Dancing Baki, Sapounce. Meh. Yes, Sapounce. Meh. Hey, Bad man, do the meh. Yes, uh, okay. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen. We all can care for each other. And it's okay. Uh, we're all in the night, not knowing what we're doing, just like the Bad man. And I say thank you, all of you, for the honor of being your king. Uh, this is Sir Tommen and Sir Pounce uh, saying good night. Mass mate. Yes, good night. Uh, good night. Uh, thank you. Uh, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Chester, Hound Dog God. It's me praying in. I guess this is the strangest prayer in the world of strange prayers. One strip hair prayer, stranger from the strip. Should I start praying to the stranger? Because it sounds like my voice just got... You want to try to do that again, Gads? That was called the movie trailer. Uh, 
in a world where uh, I think I already forgot the setup. In a world of strange prayers, one boy man prays to the old gods in the new. In a world of strange prayers, a strange. Can't you overuse strange? Crone. Sweet, sweet crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog, God. What I was going to say, I, was, I guess I was trying to, but I was going to say, like, well, never really done this straight metaphor prayer. I don't know if, is this a, what do you call this prayer style? A prayer, adventure prayer. What the heck? That's what it is. I mean, holy new recruits, gods. We could just start going to grammar schools and we would get, we would be the top of grammar, you know, top, uh, I guess this isn't really a faith since it's more of a faith mashup, but uh, it would be the top faith mashup in grammar schools. Well, tell, okay, I'm here to pre- present my uh, faith-based belief system. I call it adventure prayer. That's the primary mode of communication with the old gods and the new. Uh, yes, young man in the front, what are some of the gods I pray to? Well, I, you do, I don't want to start off with the crone, the sweet, sweet crone, because I think I saw her back there in uh, third grade. I thought that may have just been her older sister. Uh, but we pray to Barky, the uh, the old god, the god of the children. You're all children. Uh, who's Barky? Well, just the coolest god ever. Uh, god of trees. One tree, all trees? I don't know, uh, but Barky's a god. Uh, how do you serve Barky? Well, you climb uh, you pat, pat, you deals bark, pat the trunk, carve your name into it. Well, I don't know. You'd have to pray. You know, you'd have to talk to Barky about that one. Swing, uh, probably. Uh, take a nap. Yep, for sure. Uh, hound dog god. Well, it's a pending god now. It was a god. It was up there, and then said, "Hey, I gotta go do some stuff back on Earth." Probably. Uh, but yeah, the hound dog gods is a you know like a most loyal god uh, to what the, you know to to getting taken on walks, uh, getting fed, uh, getting petted. Yo, know, you have one of those at home. Great, you're already you're welcome to to adventure prayer. Uh, I forgot the rest of the rules. There's no rules, and there's only you know there are rules actually in adventure prayer. We call them guidelines. Oh, well, uh, kids, I was going to, actually, I'm in the middle of an adventure prayer. I didn't mean to show up at your classroom to uh, proselytize, but uh, let me just finish up with the, we got, do, do you kids like uh, pretend sword fighting? What about real swords? Because we've got ourselves a uh, Miller Smith, a Smith. And then it's snack time, kids. I got that covered. I got a Miller grinder of grains. You ever want to grind any grains, kids? Uh, stone, do, you, do any of you kids want to learn about stone ground uh, fighting arts? Oh, yeah, yeah, I bet you do. And then, hey, does, it, does any, anybody that doesn't like to laugh put your hand up? Well, that's a trick question because the next god up is the jester god, the god that makes you laugh. Uh, the guy that dates your your mother and your father, whether they're single or married, that's the jester god. The guy that's laughing all the way to the bank. Uh, the god that you wish you were, the jester. Yeah, they're sweet. Well, I'll tell you, kids. I mean, I've I've been adventure praying now for uh, nine long weeks. I've been in a deep uh, adventure prayer. 
And believe it or not, I'm in the midst of an event. My trip to your classroom is an adventure prayer. Could you go to another classroom as an adventure? Well, if you become my acolyte, for sure. Actually, you're probably better off being like, let me get some uh, priestesses and priests in or something, because I don't want to, I, I need a middle, middle people, you know, I can't handle, I mean, I love kids. Uh, but, you know, the, the the people with the torches that are going to come looking when they hear this new adventure religions rolled in. I need some fall people, you know. Uh, but for sure, you know, I'll put you on the list. Uh, but, yeah, so, kids, I was, uh, uh, you're, you're a kid. You were born in the 90s or something. Oh, man, you're, okay. Well, never mind. You probably don't know what the Goonies are. But one day it'll be reinvented and you'll know what it is. So excuse me, kids, let me get back to this adventure prayer. Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog. God, sorry about that. Got distracted. Just recruiting more. You know, why would you want one you know, religion of one, gods? You know, wouldn't you want one more, you know, more than just me praying up, praying it in? Uh, or do you prefer more experienced prayers? Uh, you know, they, they say, well, she's, you know, I'm desperate here. Uh I'm just kidding, guys. I mean, I am desperate. All you know, always I feel like I'm desperate. Uh, you know who was real desperate, guys? The Goonies when we last left off, and that's us all together, guys. Me, Martha Plimpton, Mikey, Brand, Brent, Andy, Mouth, uh, Data, Data, Chunk, Mikey. Is we missing somebody, guys? Chunk. Mikey, I feel like we're missing someone, gods. But anyway, there we are. Mikey's act of kind. We plunged off the side. We took the plunge, gods, into the unknown, into the great abyss. Uh, we'll skip the deleted scene because I don't even know when that is. But uh, into the abyss we plunge, gods, uh, saved by Mikey's kindness. But behind the problem is we 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 can only we have to make a run for it because the the uh, the three furious fears uh, have set off a booby trap which has caused the uh, ship of certainty uh, to most certainly be you know sunk and otherwise it's also in the clutches of the Fratellis. Uh, so we say just right when we had what what I thought would give us freedom, gods. Uh, the rich stuff, to quote one of the Goonies, what would save the Goondocks? Or, you know, just make me maybe be less suspastic and calm down, saying, okay, I'm never going to worry ever again now that I have this uh, shipload of certainty. Uh, but Mikey's act of kindness had brought sloth to us, who saved us with his joyous swinging and reenacting of uh, piracy movies. And with love, Sloth has saved us, God, from the fear. Uh, Sloth has said, hey, Mikey's nice, I'm nice, I'm heroic. Finally, I get to be heroic. And Mikey was heroic just being nice to Sloth in the first place. Sleep, treatment, treating Sloth like a human being, God, uh, you know, and then talking about babyhood and talking about uh, baby Ruth. So, um, it was, where was it, Gad? So, because we're, we're on the run from the fatalities, we have to leave, we have to leave the certainty behind. We have to stay together, Gads, because, uh, 
what else are we to do as the goon, the goonies uh, within, you know, we're family. Sloth actually, with Sloth's power and uh, heroism, Hound Dog God, reminds me a bit of you. Uh, in the in the the, the uh, sloth, not the sloth, the one and only sloth, I guess I could say, gods, uh, lifts a rock and takes us to freedom, but only uh, at the expense of sloth staying behind with the Fratellis. And I think so. I think I missed the whole subplot where sloth and uh, and chunk were became friends, but I I think. Because uh, so now, maybe that was the baby Ruth. Uh, huh, I guess it was. Oh boy. Sorry, God. Prayer, rewrite the prayers from last week. It was Chunk that's the hero, not Mikey. I think Mikey just spied on Sloth. Holy moly. Don't tell Richard Donner any of this, gods. Please don't. Actually, this, by the time this episode airs, I'll have already heard, you know. But I haven't heard from him yet. The people that heard the last episode and said, "Dude, it was junk." Uh, Crone, you're usually in charge of that stuff, but I'll say, "Okay, well, we'll let it slide, Crone." Sweet, sweet Crone, and we escaped though, on the back of Sloth, through Sloth's legs, and out into the beach. The ocean lies beyond. And we walk off, and and we realize that uh, even though certainty's gone, gods, that the rich stuff is gone, we're cold, but we're together. The Goonies, with our new member, Ann, Andy, and the fact that I've rewritten myself into uh, Mike and Brent's family as a middle sister, uh, we walk back grateful. We found the true treasure, the gratefulness of friendship that we have. And we appreciate it. But then we see the authorities, gods. The, uh, our parents, our families, they've been looking for us. They've been missing us. So then we even see another level of love. We see that we are loved. Not only have we found love of each other, that we're not alone on this journey. Even though, you know, a lot of times this Mars Plimpton feels like I am alone, you know, no recording alone except for the voices in my head. But anyway, guys, you know, it's just me feeling bad, you know, it's, it, you know, the fact that we are together. Oh, the joy of being with you, gods, is my goonies. And just beyond that, we see our families and they embrace us so happy. I think there was also a product placement at this point, God. So my first, one of my first exposures, maybe Dunkin' Donuts product placement. I can't remember. Something we didn't have in Syracuse, otherwise it would have worked. I said, geez, I got to go get some Dunkin' Donuts so I can be like the Goonies. I said, maybe it was uh, KFC. I don't know, but I said, oh, no, I can't get Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, boy. Can't be like the girl, never be a Goonies. I couldn't get a, couldn't get a Levi's uh, denim and jacket either. I think I had a Lee Jean, Jean one from, uh, uh, from Kmart and it was too tight. Uh, and too, it was too, it was like the wrong kind of denim, not the cool kind. So also didn't have asthma though. So I got that going for me. So also at this point, I'm Martha Plimpton. So we don't even need Mikey's stuff. Could use some Dunkin' Donuts, gods. 
Oh, but it's bittersweet, our reunion with, re- reunion with our families. Because there's the wicked industrialist gods, the ones, the machinations. Uh, and they laugh at us. They say, "Where you, oh, your children have returned. Well, that's all you have is love, you, uh, you plebs. Oh, don't you understand? You never attained the certainty you set out to find. And poor Matt Mikey gets his first taste of emasculation. That's why I identified with him so much before I became Mark the Plimpton. And he says, oh, I thought we could have saved the goondocks. Uh, But now what we says, well, we have each other, you know, Mikey, and you have your new sister. She rewrote herself into our family. Even though she looks like Scooter, a 42-year-old man, but, uh, you know, we'll accept her because uh, it really, you know, she's going to tell us boring bedtime stories. But I say, well, where, oh, where will I tell the bedtime stories? We have no certainty anymore. We leapt into the unknown. Will we return to the, not even to, can we even return to the goondocks? We're changed forever by this adventure. Sorry, guys, I, I lost my spot there. My prayer was uh, was sidetracked by, uh, uh, sorry, you, well, you already know my phone buzzed. Uh, so what was I saying, guys? The wicked, I think I, was, I think I got off topic. I was complaining about industrialists. I think I got drawn off the topic. I was uh, complaining about the industrialists, but uh, what was I saying, guys? Uh, so there we were. Hopeless, back where we started, that's where I was with even less than we started, gods. Such my poison as both Drew and Scooter and Andy and Martha Plimpton and Andrew. My shoulders slump, gods, and I say, oh boy, I should have never even tried. And then they say, wait a second, we have just, uh, I guess this part, I said, well, I don't know, did we even need that certainty? Or should we just have gone, you know, but there we have it. Enough uh, gems to buy back the goondocks. Once held, uh, it looked like the kind of thing that held like the, all the dice, not the 20, you know, the diamond, the tri- triangle die. How many sides is that one? Four-sided die. But anyway, guys, Octo die. But there it is, guys. We have the gems. Don't sign. Uh, no pen, uh, don't do it, we saved the goondocks. You won't be signing anything, something like that. There will be no signing here anymore. We're not giving up, that's what it really means, gods. We've got a little bit of hope. Uh, we ca- And then we see the ship and realize that, uh, what's this, his name wasn't Lawrence. Lawrence isn't a liar. There is one-eyed Willie's ship, set sail. Are the Fratellis uh, on the ship? I don't know, guys, but I know it's been an honor. I think, I guess I'm just having trouble processing what's next, guys. Uh, is there any way I cut it? Because this is when overthinking does. I say, well, what's next for the Goonies? They're just getting in the goondacks, really. How How's a bag of gems going to stop these rich cats? We're all getting older now. 
shouldn't we just go get on the ship? Uh, so that's what I say as Martha Plimpton. I say I, and I take Mike, I take the Dunkin' Donuts. I get to, you know, when I say Goonies, it's still our time. I must find the courage to keep adventuring, gods. You're right. Uh, and then I realized that the Goonies were gods all along. We're crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog, God. And we ditch everybody. We, well, I guess we could, we say, Mother, Father, we'll be back to visit uh, family members, new family members, loved ones. We'll be back soon. Uh, so we set sail, gods, on the path of adventure. We ride on what we thought would bring a certainty to the goondocks, but really, it is just the vehicle of our adventuring, I think, or something profound, God. So, oh, oh. And so we set, and set off, uh, uh, you know, and we got, what do we got, 52 minus 10, uh, no, minus 20, actually, because 10 weeks have passed. Oh, so just minus 10. You're right, guys. I'm not good at math uh, as we head out to this ship for our adventure. And we don't know if the Fratellis will be on it or not, but I'm sure we could figure that out. And on a ship with my three fears would be fine. And so 42 weeks from now, guys, I'll see you again. Maybe it'll be sooner, maybe not. Can I survive 42 weeks without constantly checking in with you? Uh, without your aid, I won't last a moment, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, Hound Dog, God. It is my honor to be in servitude to all of you. And I'll see you soon, Gads. Uh, Arrivederci, as they say. I don't know why, I don't know where they came from, Gads. Uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna truffle my shuffle off, uh, in the sunset. And good night, Gads.